you're listening to Radio Taiwan International. I'm your host Sharon Lin, and welcome to my show. Come along. For today, I'm joined by the legend, the one and only Samia Halabi. Halabi is a pioneer of abstract art, and seriously, just go look her up. She's from Palestine and is currently based in New York City in the U.S. You can find Halabi's work in museums and galleries all around the world, including the Guggenheim Museum in New York City, the Institut du Monde Arabe in Paris. And of course, the Palestinian Museum in Birzeit and Palestine in Palestine. In this episode, we will talk about Halabi at this year's Taipei Biennial. That's why she's here. Her beginnings and journey so far in abstract art, her beautiful childhood in Palestine, and the Nakba in 1948. A full video of the interview will also be available on RTI's YouTube. So make sure to check out the video and stay tuned for part two of our conversation. Let's welcome Samia Halabi. Today we have Samia Halabi in the studio. Say hi. Hi, everyone. Samia, this is super exciting because you are here in Taiwan for the first time because of Taipei Biennial. Is that right? That's correct, and it's, I'm very pleased. Mm-hmm. It's enjoyable. Well, at the time this episode is out, your performance will be over. But as the time we're recording now, could you tease us a little bit of the performance you will do? Well, the performance is going to be a collaboration. Live, it is what is called irtijal in Arabic and jamming in English.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so we don't know exactly what the other person is doing. We've practiced ideas. Togar uses electronic music and makes many wonderful instruments.、Mm-hmm. And my program is something that is written in the C language in the nineties. It's old, so. There's probably two generations of artwork there between me and Togar, but <laughs> they seem to gel. <laughs> no, wait. On that note, could you share with us, like, give a very、uh, introduction of yourself, especially how how old you are and where you're from and where is home for you now? I was born in 1936, in the last month on the twelfth day, and very soon I'll be 87. Nice. I'm amazed that I can get do every. My siblings are amazed that I can do all that I can do. Yeah, yeah. and everybody tries to help me stand up and sit. <laughs> <laughs> But I know you got it yourself. <laughs> anyway,、mm-hmm. uh, yes, I was born in Jerusalem before Israel was ever created. So in my memory is a very wonderful society and beauty of the relations, social relations that Palestinians have. And and still have you know you can still see the beauty of those relationships and、yeah. how the people of Gaza have been responding to the incredible imposition of a tragedy in their lives.、Mm-hmm. Yes, then、uh, so we'll get back to that. But yes, we will. Meanwhile, my parents were both of the Greek Orthodox Church. My father was born in、uh, 1905 before the First World War. And there was a famine artificially created in Palestine by the British and the Americans,、mm-hmm. and、uh, he, we he lost his three older brothers and eventually his father. His his brothers didn't die, but because of the war, they were one way or the other taken out of the family and and ended up in the U.S. But my father became the head of the family at a young age.、Mm-hmm. And he was in the streets, earning his living, and eventually made made a, a really good life for us. And so, in forty eight, we left、uh, Palestine. It was a huge tragedy for my father.、Mm-hmm. 
and yeah. and it had many it has many many connotations and the tragedy continues to affect our lives yes and which we will talk a lot a lot more later on and i really i really look forward to talking about this with you so yeah you mentioned you're turning 87 very soon it's very soon yes, i'm very 86 soon. now yeah turning 87 <laughs> very soon amazing so throughout your celebrated career you've created a such a diverse plethora of works in different forms as well in, in drawings and printmaking computer-based kinetic art and one of the most prominent ones are your abstract paintings so what sparked you into doing abstract art i don't know for some reason had the persuasion that i'm going to be an abstract painter there wasn't that atmosphere and abstraction was just coming into the U.S. in the 40s and 50s. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, but it wasn't in the schools and it wasn't in the Midwest where we lived at the time. And it always needed to be explained and protected. But I had an, and to me personally, it was more instinct and intuition. Mm -hmm. But as time went by, I began to realize more intellectually and more, well, out of study and attention that it really does have a very serious political basis abstraction mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and uh, even though there's an abstraction that existed since prehistory in pictures very much so yeah uh, there's always even when we see an illusionist painting from the renaissance or like all the paintings i've been looking at uh, uh, chinese paintings there's a lot of serious abstraction in them but to have something without images without the idea of the one eye seeing the world while frozen, mm. to truly have thorough abstraction only was born in the uh, in revolutionary times. Yeah. First of all, in the during by the French uh, Impressionists during the Paris Commune, and then the Soviet, Soviet artists yeah. during the Soviet Revolution. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, the during the uh, trade union movement, uh, the, the industrial union movement in the USA, uh, abstract expressionism was very much created by leftist artists and, and mm -hmm. a revolutionary atmosphere. So in a way, when t people talk to me about politics, your political posters, your political documentary art, truly the abstraction is the most political of them all, but somehow mm. people don't don't quite figure that one yeah. out <laughs> you know what i used to be one of those people really because i, I think figurative art well, as a kid or or as someone yeah just as a human i i found myself like naturally drawn to for example renaissance paintings is still one of my favorite artworks but i like sometime before i seldom find abstract paintings sparking my special interest mostly because it's harder to find relevance to such abstract shapes and colors than figurative art but Getting to know your work, really, for me, is it's sort of like a revelation for me. And I learned from you that you see abstraction as an imitation of reality. So for people who know little of abstract art, as you mentioned, what is a good introduction to finding relevance in, the, in these abstract shapes and choices of colors? Well, it helps when... Uh, people are very open and intuitive to what they're looking at and mm. and not to be frightened and to trust themselves. It's hard to say where you go and to think about it. And there's nothing wrong with being ab attracted to illusion or to the Renaissance. Yeah. You know, the Renaissance, remember, 
at one point capitalism was very revolutionary <laughs> yeah and, yeah and and those artists of the renaissance uh, are, are are part of human revolution you don't know what they're doing to you but they're yeah. making you excited yeah yeah and and abstraction when i see the abstraction of the uh, uh, soviet artists i i just want to run home and work and mm. something very exciting in it and and you know when you look at van gogh for me, Van Gogh is so beloved by so many people. Everybody loves Van Gogh. And it's, it's not because he's silly or romantic. It's because a huge number of people, including workers, instinctively know that there's something in that art that is about their life and not about the life of the ruling class. So it's mm -hmm. not angry with the rich wife, you know, with mm -hmm. all her jewelry. So... And it, it's, he's paying attention to form in a different way. Mm -hmm. But the one thing I would say to people who look at abstraction is when you see my paintings and you feel something you like in it, I think it's because you've seen it before. I think it's because you've experienced it before, but you don't have a language for it. Mm -hmm. And I have come and given you a visual language for it. I've provided like... like like this spoken language, you have a word to describe something, you feel relief here. I can I can share this with you. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, we're social. We want to give it to each other. Mm -hmm. So that's what the painting does. You can use my painting as your language. Yeah, yeah. So the interesting part is sometimes people come and tell me they see things that I thought I didn't see. And then I look and say, oh, they're right. They're in there. Another thing that might help um, mm -hmm. is that it is an illusion of reality. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and to remember that as as a working class art, as 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 a, an art for the future, it is an art that does not accept the responsibility of praising the ruling class. Mm -hmm. It never has a picture of the president or the king or the doctor or the corporate leadership or whatever. It's not describing how they play golf and how they collect their jewelry. Yeah, I, I know some of those, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're free of that. We are mm -hmm. free to explore ideas. Oh, yeah. And abstraction explores general principles, not particulars. Anything that's an image, and mind you, I don't put it down. It's part of our technology, yeah, like sure, Renaissance sure. art contributed so did Chinese mm. painting all the things we have contributed to yeah our... it's like they, they build on each other and they evolve or in some ways kind of mutate in, in a very organic way that's how but I they feel. also they also provide information for technologies that feed oh, us very much so yeah build our buildings mm -hmm. you know there was projection in ancient the first <clears throat> uh, Chinese painting that had depth in it to me was Han painting and it is projection was being projection is an illusion of depth and the renaissance makes it more scientific and now we use that to build our homes to build mm -hmm, our mm -hmm. factories yeah. etc autocad you know it's useful the vision of color is useful they all came of painting and letters where did letters come from pictures mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so okay we're now to a world uh, the painting has to move to the future. It can't just be repeating the past. Some can repeat the past. We, you know, we want pretty things around, but there's an area of research where we want to 
find general principles. I'm going on too long. No, it's fine. <laughs> Please don't hold back. <laughs> it, it's not possible to paint a date with an illusionist painting. You know, there you are mean things date that... as in time or the fruit? As in time. Okay. You, I can't give you January 5, 1905 in a, in a, in a painting unless I write it. So there are things that are very visual. There are principles that abstraction can begin to do. In a, a, you know, mathematics have, has generalities that allows us to add. And mm. addition is a very useful generality, mm. general principle. So in painting, we can start now looking at general principles rather than particulars. If I have a portrait of you, I have to be specific. But with abstraction, a, a, an image can be represent many ones. You know, it can be describe a, a, a quality in nature, mm -hmm. growth, wave motion, you luminosity, etc. Yeah, you know, when you mentioned date, you know, the first example that I thought of was actually a rather, you can say, figurative painting um, by Goya, the 3rd of May and that series. So I, I feel like it's a good segue to talk about because Goya was painting a very important historic event that I really wish more people know about. And I, I find that gateway that you described, also the freedom in abstract art, I, I felt that very strongly in your body of work that's called the Dome of the Rock series. So what inspired you to create this body of work and what stories are behind the shapes and the colors people could see? Well, the Dome of the Rock series uh, happened at the point where uh, I had sp spent my career as a painter examining how we see challenging the perspective theory because mm. it's an abstraction. Yeah. It's not the way we see. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had uh, arrived at a point where it, it was time to shift completely from testing how we see the world with one eye frozen like a camera to, mm. and challenging perspective to wanting to move. I wanted to see what a, a flat picture would be if it reflected how we see as we move, mm -hmm. we're walking down the street, you can see shapes expand and contract. Yeah. And there's all kinds of things happening. Mm -hmm. So how do you put that in one picture, yeah. not a movie, mm -hmm. not, n not a lens? We're not talking about a lens. We're yeah. talking about intellectualizing and thinking of things that if images that can give you principles. Yeah. Picture making that applies to many, many realities. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I watched um, several interviews that I did before, and I, I think one, and you, I think you mentioned um, during your travels, uh, for example, in Aleppo, you saw the mosque and how the tiles on the floor and everything, it's, it's the image, it's so rich. And at least for me, looking at your work, the most abstract, seemingly abstract forms, but I see architecture, I see texture. You, sh you should, yeah. you should see things, you know, any, uh, back to the Dome of the Rock series, as sure. I was changing like that, mm. and I, I decided, you know, one of the experiments I wanted to do was to see, I went to see the Dome of the Rock and I saw these amazing images, uh, pictorial images, and I decided I'm going to extract from them their principles, mm. not the way they look, but the principles they're based on. So I decided I was going to let the geometry, the yeah. rectangle, give birth to the shapes inside. Oh. So whatever, it was a geometric analysis. And at the same time, 
all of the inlaid marbles mm -hmm. that I saw next to each other, all yeah. these textures. Instead of shading, I began to put different textures next to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm imitating the principle, but not drawing marble, but just mm. here different from here. So it was a different art. There's no shading is very attractive. People love seeing yeah. shading. <laughs> yeah, we can go on. Yeah, <laughs> you as an artist, I feel like you're so open to exploring new approaches to painting that can transform people's ways of of seeing and of thinking, and not only just within aesthetics. It's uh, but also as a way to discover new perspectives. And it rings very true for me deeply, personally, because one main reason I love talking to artists, I love what artists could do is sparking people's curiosity and sparking people to ask questions and also asking them in different ways, encouraging a this like childlike curiosity and wonder. So on that note, I would love to know more about your childhood. I learned that your grandmother's garden in Jerusalem uh, and your family home where your family have lived for generations and generations have inspired you a lot. What was the garden like and any memories of your childhood home in Palestine that really stood out for you? As I described, my father was a rags to riches kind of thing. Uh, and so he moved. Uh, uh, he moved from Jerusalem, where our families had lived for centuries, uh, to Jaffa, where it was a port city. Mm -hmm. Every week, he would take us up to visit my grandmother and the other grand, both grandmothers and cousins. And she had a garden that had a little fish pond in the middle, and uh, there were trees I could climb. And then she would tell my parents, "Oh." Samia is being overshadowed by her two older brothers. You're going to keep her with me. <laughs> and I'd stay with her for a week until they came back and I would be treated like a princess by my grandmother. Mm, and there was nice. a, a, a little cage for rabbits and a little cage for chicken. And she would let me get the little chicks out and pretend to be a, a shepherd. Oh. It was a great deal of fun. Yeah, yeah. And it was very beautiful. It was small. Uh, and very formal and trees that I looked at and uh, there was a geometry in the trees that fascinated me mm -hmm. so it it had a very strong effect on me so, yes and 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 she was amazing too my grandmother and yeah. my grandmother talked to me seriously as though I was an adult but I mean she didn't it wasn't that she's putting heavy weights on me but she was talking to me yeah she very... recognizes that every child they have their own agency and it's the same as every human being not because they're young or yeah she knew that I would remember what she said mm. but you do yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I do we do mm -hmm. children do mm. That was my childhood in Palestine was very special, especially vis-a-vis -vis my maternal grandmother. And my father uh, built up his life and eventually we moved to Beirut. And uh, as a result, we were exiled into Beirut, one might say. And Beirut was very beautiful at the time. Yeah, And it was a very special when I was young and protected by my family and didn't really feel the horrible effects of the Nakba at that time because of mm. that protection. Though I knew my father had returned back to Palestine after he got us out, so he would join the resistance he'd always been part of. And 
here is part one of my conversation with Samia. So stay tuned for part two coming out next Monday. And also, don't forget to check out the interview videos on RTI's YouTube and follow us on Instagram at RTI English for more video highlights. I'll see you then.